if you knew that your final days were here, what would you share with those close to you? What would be the final instructions that you would leave with your children? If you had had a mission, a task, a purpose in life, and you wanted them to carry on that legacy, what would you say to them? How would you equip them? How would you shape them? In John chapter 15, Jesus gives us another I am statement. But as he says, I am, he is talking to his 11 apostles. Judas has already left to betray him. And he says, I am. I am divine. What did Jesus mean by this? What is Jesus doing in this statement? I want us to think about Jesus when he says, I am the vine, here in John chapter 15. And I want us to notice the analogy that Jesus is offering when he says, I am the vine. And I want us to look deeply at the context to understand the purpose of his statement, I am the vine. I want us to look at the text, and I want us to think about what this means for his church today. If you have your Bibles with you, turn over to John chapter 15, and let's look at Jesus in these final hours of his life, because he's been working with these men, he's been grooming these men, and now he's with them. He's preparing them to know that he is leaving, and he is leaving things in their hands. And he tells them, I am the vine. Notice John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Have you ever thought about this analogy that Jesus uses? This idea of being a vine and his father being a vine dresser. I suspect that few of us, if any of us in this room this morning, have ever worked in a vineyard. I could be wrong. But it's just a suspicion I have. Being from Washington State, we have vines, blackberry vines. Not quite the same as a grapevine, but... It's fun to go out and pick those things and then come in and make a nice blackberry pie. But I've never worked with grapes. But if you study about agriculture and you study about uh, the work in a vineyard, you know that, that the vine is the source, the umbilical cord, if you will, for those branches, for that fruit. And if you do something to kill the vine, you are cutting off its nutrients. It's source of life. And so when Jesus says, I am the vine, he's saying something deeper than just a picture of some grapes that we might look at. He's saying, I am the source of life for you. I am the source of nutrients that you have. 
But Jesus wasn't talking about physical nutrients. He wasn't talking about physical life. But he was talking about the spiritual well-being and life and health of his disciples. And he's going to use this analogy to say, you cannot be effective without me. And Jesus says, not only am I the vine, but I want you to know that my father is the vine dresser. He's the one that grooms the vine. He's the one that takes care of the vine. And he tells his apostles here, he says, guys, I need you to understand that my father is the vine dresser. And he's going to come out and he's going to inspect you. And he's going to expect you to bear fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, he's going to cut you off. And if you do bear fruit, he's going to prune you so that you bear more fruit. And so Jesus is giving a very specific analogy to his apostles. So that now that we've considered the analogy and the picture that Jesus is using to make his point, let's look at the context and understand what's going on here. I've already made mention of the fact that Jesus is about to leave this earth. It's in the final nights that Jesus is with his apostles. In fact, if you look over in my Bible, it happens to be across the page, but you might have a bigger print Bible, but look in chapter 13 and verse 5. It says, Then he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. This is the night of Jesus' last supper with his apostles. This is the night in which Jesus washes his disciples' feet as if to prepare them for serving in his kingdom after he's gone. When we look at John chapter 13 and we see what's going on here compared to Matthew and with Mark and Luke, we know this is the night of the Last Supper and he is with his 12 apostles. In the course of that evening, Judas gets up to go make the final preparations for his betrayal of Jesus. And as Jesus continues his conversation, John gives us the greatest in-depth discussion of that conversation on that evening. He spends several chapters on those final hours. And he's conversing with his apostles. And he's talking with them, preparing them for what's going to happen. And Philip and Thomas and, and even Peter, they can't imagine that Jesus is about to leave them. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. But when we come down to John chapter 15, he's still talking with those 11 apostles, preparing them to understand what's going on. And that he's leaving them and leaving things in their hands. Meaning, it's going to be up to them to preach the truth and to carry on his mission of taking the gospel to the world. And that's what's going on here. In fact, when you look at the very last verse in John chapter 14, we see that he's with his apostles and, and they are moving, physically moving, as he makes his way to the Mount of Olives where he'll eventually be arrested. John chapter 14, verse 31, he says, But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Get up, let's go from here. So Jesus is walking and talking with his apostles. And as he's walking and talking with his apostles, he's letting them know, I'm about to leave. You need to be ready to step in my place and preach the truth. 
And that's the context. There are some other things we need to understand about the context of Jesus talking with his apostles. Did you notice in verse 31 there, he says, I do, I speak exactly as my Father has said. Keep that in the back of your mind as we look in John chapter 15 here. But notice other places where Jesus has said something very similarly, or very similar. Look in John chapter 12, verse 47. Jesus says, if anyone hears my sayings, and does not keep them. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him in the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who has sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as my Father has told me. I can't read this passage but to have a weight placed on my shoulders because Jesus, who is God in the flesh, says, even I did not speak unless I spoke exactly as my Father told me to speak. Have you ever thought about that? Emmanuel, God with us. Because I didn't say it unless my father told me to say it. That's a heavy burden, isn't it, brother? And so Jesus has that in his mind as he's about to talk to his apostles. Chapter 14, verse 10. Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Again, Jesus says, I only do things as my Father has told me to do them. In these chapters, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, apostles. He is going to remind you of everything that I've taught you. He's going to teach you some new things. But notice what he says about the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, in verse 31. Jesus has answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home and to, have, and to, be, and, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that uh, you may have peace in the world uh, and that you have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you. But Jesus reminds these men that even the Holy Spirit only spoke as he was directed by the Father. Look at verse 13, John chapter 16. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Did you notice that about the Holy Spirit? He will not speak on his own. Even the Holy Spirit was only going to speak what God told him to speak. And so all of these things combine together to help us understand the context of what Jesus is now going to tell his apostles as we look in John chapter 15. 
So let's go to John chapter 15. And notice the text. John chapter 15, verse 4. Jesus tells these 11 apostles, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Do you see what Jesus said there? Jesus says, I am the vine, and he uses this analogy to say, we have to stay, the apostles have to stay in Jesus. They have to abide with Jesus. They can't bear fruit if they are separated from Jesus. And Jesus links that idea of abiding with him by saying, and my words abide with you. In other words, as Jesus is preparing these men to go out into the world in his absence, as he leaves them alone, he says, as you do that work, you need to stay in me. You need to stay in my word. You need to not separate yourself from my word. You need to limit yourself to what I've taught you. Now, remember, in the context of John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, Jesus tells them multiple times, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. He's going to remind you of everything I've taught you. He's even going to teach you some new things. He's going to comfort you. He's going to be with you. But he's going to testify about me, and your job is to testify about me. And so Jesus is equipping them for that task, and yet he says, you can't do it if you go off on your own. You can't do it if you leave my word. And so there's a standard there for us. But Jesus was saying, you have to keep my word, and you have to stay in my word, and you have to abide in my word. If you try to do anything else, you're going to die. You're not going to be able to bear fruit. What kind of fruit did Jesus have in mind? I don't know. Maybe in this context, you're going out and you're doing work and folks are coming in, they're hearing the gospel, they're being saved. That could be it. I know in, for Paul in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's something else. If you live a God life, you're going to produce these qualities in your life. If you live a life that is a spiritual life, you're going to produce those qualities that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. I think here in John chapter 15, Jesus is giving a very specific mission to some very specific men, and he says God expects you to do something with these things. God expects you to do something with this message. God expects you to be active doing my mission, carrying out my mission. And if you're not doing those things, God's going 
to remove you. Now remember, the immediate context is he's not talking to just anyone. He's talking to his apostles. And he's warning them, if you do something else, my father's going to remove you. And you're going to be gathered up, and you're going to be burned. He's saying this to his trusted apostles. But Jesus does expand things just ever so slightly as he talks to his apostles. Notice again in verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch. So Jesus says the standard is not just for you, but it's for anyone. And so we have this message. And it ought to be a message of hope for us, and it ought to be a message of, of encouragement for us, because Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm the source of your life. I'm the source of your spiritual well-being. You see, I don't have to make the stuff up as I go. I, I don't have to, as a, as a minister, as an evangelist, uh, think about, well, what am I going to say? I've already got it. He gave it to me in the Scripture. And I know that if that's what I'm taking, He's going to give me the nutrients and the life. He's going to give me what I need to bear fruit. It's amazing to me how when you just stick to the Scripture and teach the truth, when people hear it, they respond. And there's a lot of people that halfway through, they don't want to hear it. I've been blessed in the last few weeks to be studying with a young couple in premarital counseling. They live in Dallas County. I had contact with one of them through previous relationships. One of them I've never met before, poor, this, this premarital session. But it grew into a Bible study. And it was very simple as we worked our way through the Old Testament. We hit the highlights of some of the Old Testament. We come to Romans chapter 6, and Paul says, Do you not know that those of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been buried into his death? And just as he's been raised, or just as we've been buried with him into his death through baptism, so also we are raised with him to a newness of life. And, and then Paul says, and we've been crucified with him. We've crucified our old body of sin with Christ. And when you look at Romans chapter 6, and it's opened up in front of them, and they're looking at the scriptures, they're reading it themselves, and you ask them the question, what does this say you need to do to get rid of the sin in your life? I've got to be baptized. What does it say you need to do to crucify that old body of sin? I've got to be baptized. You have sin in your life? You want to be baptized? You want to get rid of that sin? How often I've had that Bible study and I've had people read that passage for themselves. That's not me, folks. That's them reading the scripture. It's very, very simple. But you see, when we start doing other things and we start getting away from that and we start complicating it with man's thoughts, man's ideas, that's when we get in trouble. And so Jesus says, stick to my words. Abide in my words. Now let's notice something that's very difficult maybe sometimes for us to recognize in God's scripture. Look at verse 10. Now we'll start in verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. 
Isn't that easy? Jesus, I want to abide in your love. How do I do that? Jesus, I want to keep your love in my life. How do I do that? Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, in His love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Did you catch what Jesus said? If you want to abide in Jesus' love, we have to abide, we have to keep His commandments. Everyone wants to be in Jesus' love. But how do we do that? By keeping His commandments. Jesus says, if you do this, these things, look, I've given this message to you, my disciples, my apostles, so that you may have joy in yourself. You know what's confusing for a kid? Is on one day you say, go do this. This is how I want you to behave. And then the next day you say, no, 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 I want you to do this. And it gets so confusing for them, they don't know what they ought to do. They don't know how they ought to behave. They don't know what they should be doing. And yet when you give them clear-cut expectations and directions and rules, they have stability in their life. They know what they need to be doing. There's a certain amount of peace and joy about that. Have you ever worked for a boss that every time you came into the office, you had to deal with a different mood? You had to deal with different instructions? It's not fun working for that boss, is it? You don't know if you're going to have a job the next day. Jesus says, I have laid these things out for you so that you can know how to abide in my love and have joy in your life. They're not burdensome. They're, they are freeing. But Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in them. So we've looked at the analogy. We've looked at the context. We've looked at the text. So let's think about what all does this mean for us as this church, as his people today? The first thing that comes to my mind is that we must look to Christ as the source of our nutrients, the source of our life. That is to say, as we spend time in God's Word, we can be like those little children who live in a stable environment. They know what they ought to do because it's plainly given to them. We can know how we can have life in God and Christ by looking at His Word and not getting away from it. He loved us. He wants us to know how to have a right relationship with Him. Doesn't it make sense that He would make it clear for us? And that's what He's done. And so I can be nourished on the Word of God and know what I need to have a spiritually healthy life. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have trouble in life. Doesn't mean that things are always going to go my way in life. But it does mean I can find peace in knowing I'm right with God if I do what He says. And spend time in His Word and know what he expects for me. It's also important to know that if it's true for the apostles, it's true for us that we need to abide in him. We need to abide in his word. If he tells his apostles, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. The emphasis I want to bring as we look at verse 7 is the idea that if he tells his apostles, people who were inspired by the Holy Spirit, who he just told us, by the way, as we were looking in the broader context, 
Even the Holy Spirit did and taught just as he was directed by the Father. If he gave that instruction to the apostles, isn't that true for us? That's why when you worship with us and you, you're a part of our church family, you're going to find that we try to teach exactly as the New Testament teaches. We're not, we don't try to claim things that we can't find in Scripture on one side or the other. If the Bible says this is what God expects for us, we're going to do that because we can know this is what God expects of us. Everything else is just guesswork. Do you want to stand before God on the judgment day and honestly look on the glory of God and say, well, I didn't know if this was okay with you or not, but I thought it might be, so I went ahead and did it anyway. Do you want to take that chance? Do you want to take that gamble? There are a lot of folks today that they take that approach to their faith. I know that doesn't really matter to God, so I'm just going to do it this way. I'm sorry, folks. That scares me to death. But when I stick to the Word of God, I can know this is what pleases me. And so that's what we teach. That's what we do here. If we can find it in Scripture, man, that's what we're going to do. There's a standard that I believe we can find in Scripture. And that standard is, is when God gives us a specific direction, a specific instruction, you do it specifically. And if God gives you a general direction, a general command, that's what, that's what you do. So when we have commandments to gather together and worship God, we can feel free to do that, whether that's in the Courtyard Marriott or at the Dinbrook Park or in somebody's home. Because we have examples of those things in Scripture. When he says, sing and make melody in your heart, we do that because that's the specific example that he gives to do. And so by doing that, we abide in his word and we abide in his love. And I can have joy and comfort and peace because I'm not second-guessing and I'm not gambling. I can know this is what's pleasing to God. And so if we keep his commandments, we abide in his love. Jesus has a strict warning for us here in this passage. And he tells his apostles, as I send you out into the world to preach the truth, you need to understand that if you get away from my word, my Father's going to come and cut off your branch and gather you up. And in Jesus' words, throw you into the fire. Does Jesus take it seriously as to whether we stand in his word or not? Absolutely. And so we preach and teach with that idea in mind that we want to be pleasing to God. We find our source in God and Christ. And we realize that away from Him are things that are not pleasant. But we can have life by staying in the vine. When Jesus says, I am the vine, He's saying, I am everything you need for life and God. And that's what we're trying to do. That's the message we bring. And the result of living in that message is abiding in God's love and having the joy of Christ in our hearts. If you're here this morning and you need to be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, we'd love to help you do that. If you have other needs that you would like the church to know about that maybe we can help you with, we'd love to help you with those things too. Whatever the case, won't you come as together we stand and sing.